to Health Talks Now, bringing you the facts you need to keep you and your family well. We're happy you're tuning in today. Baptist Health is committed to providing compassionate, high-quality care that is centered on you. Listen to all of our podcasts to hear from Baptist Health physicians about the latest medical advancements and treatments. And get trusted information on timely health topics from our healthcare professionals. Whether you want to learn more about a specific condition or procedure or find tips for living a healthy lifestyle, Baptist Health is here to help you become a healthier you. Welcome back to another episode of Health Talks Now. Today we're talking with Chief Executive Officer Gerard Coleman for an update on the pandemic and Baptist Health's response. Undoubtedly, there are challenges, adjustments, and changes, but collectively there's hope. Let's jump right in. All right, it's been just over six months since our last conversation. What have the last six months been like? Very busy. Only recently with COVID patients. Fortunately, you know, after the first surge back in the springtime, we had many months of learning and opportunity to bulk up supply chains, getting enough PPE for all of our frontline healthcare providers throughout the entire system. We even helped the state of Kentucky acquire PPE supply that they were unable to do. But because we have a robust supply chain and great supply chain leadership, we were able to get enough PPE for not only our healthcare workers, our frontline responders, but others as well. So outside, so yeah, lots of great work in that space. We work very closely with the state in the last six months and the federal government. We've been close contact with the Senate Majority Leader's office, close contact mm-hmm. with the governor's office here in Kentucky and other state and federal officials, as well as our Kentucky Hospital Association, working together with the other health systems in order to make sure that we're prepared for this now second surge, which we're definitely seeing the last few months. Ever since fall, we've really seen the uptick week over week, more admissions coming throughout the Baptist Health System. So a lot of activity, a lot of really good activity, a lot of optimism. But I do have to say that the last few weeks in particular have gotten extremely busy dealing with COVID patients. But the months prior to that were extremely busy we were getting prepared. We were working on the therapeutics mm-hmm. uh, that we hear about, not vaccines, but therapeutics, how we treat COVID patients, right. making sure we had the appropriate surge plans and making sure that we had a vaccine distribution plan for when we get the vaccines. So very exciting six months since the last time we spoke. Yes. And I'm glad to be able to provide that little background yeah. and give you some thoughts on where we've been. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for making time with us for this important telephone conversation. As we record this episode, you literally just wrapped up an interview with CNBC. How did it go? And what question do you wish they would have asked you? You know, I think the interview went really well for the questions that they were able to ask, but it was a short segment. The good news is that it was just me and the interviewers. Mm-hmm. So I was able to answer a lot of their questions directly. And that, I think, was wonderful for Kentucky and for Baptist Health. Mm -hmm. I think the one question I wish I was able to answer or weave into one of my answers was, Mm -hmm. even when people get the vaccine, the first dose and even the second dose, it takes time to build immunity. So we're going to have to continue to be thoughtful about wearing masks socially distancing when appropriate in other words when we can and really washing our hands a lot (laughs) like we have been so in other words just because you've received the first dose of vaccine and even when you receive the second dose of vaccine it's not as if okay i'm good to go 
Right. It's really building up that immunity, which takes some time. It could take days, if not weeks, to build up the immunity that you need. So if you think about the distribution and how the vaccine works, if the second dose is in 21 days, you're probably at 40 days to 50 days from the initial dose before you could say that you have enough antibodies built up that you would not be affected by someone with COVID. That's such an important distinction too, I think, especially as people are really eager and looking forward to this vaccine as kind of the way back to normal to emphasize that not only will they need to be mindful of the timeline of their own vaccination, but then the rollout plan for getting this distributed more widely across the country. Yeah. And our team is going to be working on some messaging of the importance of getting that second vaccine because you would be taking away the opportunity for someone else to be vaccinated if you don't make plans to actually follow through and get that second one. That's excellent. That is a great thought. You're right, because it's a waste. If someone doesn't get the second vaccine, we've wasted a dose and we don't have doses to spare. Right. (laughs) And I think that's a great message. So let's talk bottom line before we launch into some projections. The last time we checked in with you, we were holding strong financially despite the monetary toll that the pandemic had most certainly taken on healthcare systems across the nation. As we approach the end of calendar year 2020, what has the impact been financially on the Baptist Health system and how are we positioned financially to deliver care going into 2021? So we did very well, obviously, at the end of last calendar year, which for us ended August 31st. And we weathered the storm, if you will, of COVID quite well by reducing executive compensation, by unfortunately having to furlough staff and significant supply chain savings, other contract negotiations. So a lot of work by a lot of great people Mm -hmm. went into salvaging what was last year. Also, we were able to provide outstanding care when the governor's restrictions were lifted there was a lot of people that needed to come in for that very very needed we call it you know quaternary care and we call it elective procedures mm-hmm. and we call it same day surgeries and if you will but those are necessary for people and we were able to provide those services finally we don't know the final impact unfortunately uh, clinically for those patients who waited a long time for that care right. but we do know that it was able to help us recover financially for the first two months of this year we've done to budget we've done well we're on budget we're excited about that because we've seen the impacts of COVID again mm-hmm. in the fall months right the surge is coming back right. so we are having more and more patients admitted to the hospital these patients are very sick They require lots of care. In addition to that, we've seen somewhat of a decrease in some of our ambulatory care as we received last year, although this time not mandated by the government. This time it's just people are really sheltering in place to a certain degree and foregoing some of that needed necessary care. But we are staying on target. We're staying on budget and we're excited about that. Great. That's great to hear. Well, in our last episode, we had the opportunity to get a clinical update on the pandemic with Dr. David Doherty, an infectious disease physician in our system out of Lexington. We discussed the ongoing clinical trials that we're participating in, the impending vaccine rollouts, and among some other issues. Well, let's continue that conversation right now, talking about PPE. The focus now has moved from masks, which was the focus back in March, and now it's on gloves, more specifically a nitrile shortage, which is important to glove production giving latex allergies. Can you share with us what's going on with Baptist Health? How are we looking in regard to glove supply right now and what's causing this shortage? The shortage is just because of the mass distribution and supply chain challenges that we've had. Obviously, the world has shut down. A lot of our PPE supplies are made overseas. 
that really has led to the disruption of the supply chain when it comes to gloves. We do have plenty of gloves and we're able to offer those to all our providers, but we have to be thoughtful about that. We can't just have boxes of gloves being inappropriately distributed. We have to make sure we keep an eye on the supply and make sure that it's utilized appropriately and correctly. So that's to, to one degree. The other thing is I think we're seeing, and if anything, has come out of this pandemic that was a silver lining, if you will, is that we're trying to, as healthcare organizations, make sure that some of that supply chain or a lot of the supply chain moves back into the United States. Because it's very difficult when you have a worldwide pandemic and countries are shutting down at various times to be able to keep supply chains open. When pharmaceuticals are made in China or gloves are made in Germany, or electronic equipment is made in parts of Asia. And it's a worldwide issue. It's not just China and production. It's production in Germany. It's production in Italy. You'd be surprised where bits and pieces of equipment are made all over the world. And it's not necessarily all in China. Some of it Mm -hmm. comes from other parts of the world. And when they shut down to curve the spread, Mm -hmm. that has a negative effect on all of us. So we have to work together to try to get some of those supply chains back into the United States. So it'd be good for the economy. It'll be good for jobs. And it'll be really good for all of our patients if another pandemic or something like this were to happen to us again. Yeah, it really illustrates the impact this has had worldwide, not just on individual countries dealing with curbing the spread in their own populations, but how the interconnectedness of us all battling against this disease. And various industries, not just healthcare, as you indicated. That's right. Absolutely. So to that note, can you update us on the beds and patient volumes? Sure. We've seen a steady uptick since the fall started, really. And when fall started, so did the uptick in patients. At every single one of our facilities every day, we have seen more and more patients be admitted with COVID. As you know, COVID patients are very ill. They need to be in hospitals and have hospital care. So it's been quite challenging, but we've dealt with it very, very well. We've not had to activate our surge plants. We've not been at that point. We're managing it very, very well, I'm delighted to say. And I think most healthcare systems throughout the state are as well. And it's just a matter of really making sure that we work and we are able to flex units up as appropriate and have patients admitted as appropriate and really watching it. But we have seen an uptick since the fall. I'm expecting that the Thanksgiving holiday Mm -hmm. will see more. And as we go into the Christmas holidays, I don't anticipate a major reduction in cases, but we have seen a steady increase. And we've got to be mindful wearing, again, wearing the masks, social distancing as appropriate, and, you know, washing hands all the time. That's probably the best defense is really washing the hands and the mask wearing. Social distancing as appropriate. You know, you people have to buy groceries. There's certain things that people have to do, certain activities. And if they do that, but they're thoughtful about wearing a mask, trying to be socially distant, I think it's going to be great with regard to the outcomes in the spring months, I hope. Sure. Well, Kentucky has previously suspended elective procedures in consideration of space, ensuring proper staffing and enough protective gear to care for the uptick of COVID-19 patients. As you indicated, we're in a second wave. Indiana just halted procedures again. Do you anticipate the same will happen in Kentucky? Not at this time, but I can tell you that as the numbers continue to climb, I would believe that the governor may act in that way Mm -hmm, uh, in the future. So currently, no, and I don't see it 
coming soon, but I also would not say it's definitely not going to happen in Kentucky. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to, it has happened in other states, like you indicated, it's already happened in Southern Indiana, and it may happen here in Kentucky. The challenge is with that is that just if you shut down, remember in the spring, Mm -hmm. we shut down those elective procedures, although they're they're needed, but they're considered elective, in order to preserve PPE. Right. We don't have a PPE shortage at this time, and we do not anticipate one. And patients that are coming for those elective procedures are not necessarily going to be inpatients to a hospital. That so we have to be sense. thoughtful about how we open and shut down healthcare. Just because we shut down an operating room doesn't mean we're going to have extra staff to staff the unit. Clinical staff are very specific. They're trained in a certain way and mm-hmm. can't all do all things in all areas of the right. hospital. So just being thoughtful about how staff is deployed is really important. That sure. makes great sense. And I think it's a relevant call to action to our communities as we head into the Christmas season to really be mindful of gathering with even close family members that live outside your home as we try to prevent another scenario like we saw in March that would cause these elective procedures to go back on shutdown. So. Absolutely. So let's switch gears a little bit and discuss your projection for healthcare. We're coming into a new administration. The landscape of our industry has irrevocably changed after 2020. What does the industry look like right now? And what are your counterparts and CEOs and healthcare administrations across the country chattering about? The bet is still on, if you will, because it's curiously optimistic is another way to put it. You know, as we wait for the Georgia runoffs, I think that's going to tell us a lot. So as as you know, it's hotly contested in Georgia with the two Senate seats. If they go to the Democratic Party, it sways one way. If it stays in Republican hands, it sways the other way. And, you know, I'm not seeing dramatic changes in healthcare per se. I don't think it's on the it's on the national agenda on both parties that always has been, but it really depends on ultimately which group is in power and if that is the House, the Senate and the White House. Mm-hmm, right. As opposed to just having the House and not having the Senate. Sure. So it's really gonna be something that we watch very closely, but it's really too close to predict and hard to estimate what the end result will be. I always tell people that you don't really know what happens until you're sitting in that seat. And I know that every single president, since I've been paying attention, so go way back to Ronald Reagan. So (laughs) that's, you know, it's my age, but go back to Ronald Reagan years. You think what you want to do as a president-elect and all of the things that you campaigned on and all the things that you talk about with your constituents, what you think or what is important to your constituents and why they elected you, then you're actually sitting in the president's seat and you have access to information and numbers that maybe you didn't have as a presidential candidate. That's a great point. And then you have to start constructing maybe a modified picture of what you ran upon. Not a complete change or a turnover of what you did or what you talked about to get elected, but maybe something that's more in line with fiscal constraints, more in line with governmental constraints that you were not aware of or worldwide constraints that you were not aware of. You know, So it's a very different picture, I think, when you have the amount of information that you have as a sitting leader mm-hmm. as opposed to someone who's running for a ticket. So I think the future is uncertain for sure. Yeah. What's your greatest hope for 2021? And then conversely, what's keeping you up at night? Probably the same thing. (laughs) So it's really our ability to vaccinate enough people to get out of the pandemic situation that we're in. So I'm optimistic and excited 
that we will get these vaccines. And I'm hoping by summer mm-hmm. uh, that we'll have the majority of the U.S. population vaccinated that can be vaccinated and want to be vaccinated. Right. But at the same time, I hear the same news that you do, that there's only a million doses to start. And then there's only going to be so many million of Moderna. And AstraZeneca is not filed yet for emergency use authorization, EUAs. And that makes me a bit nervous because if that process is slowed down for whatever reason, because the FDA feels that they need more data or more information before they approve Moderna Mm -hmm. or before they approve AstraZeneca, because one pharmaceutical company, one immunization company cannot possibly produce enough vaccines for the world. So it has to be a collective effort by multiple organizations. And I just, that's what keeps me up at night. I think that's a great point to answer some questions that we've heard chattered about amongst the patients and the communities is why do we need all these companies producing different vaccines? I think there's a lot of questions out there that our team is working to address with education, but that's a really, really good point that it's simply a production issue and that it takes a team effort. Mm -hmm. And we're still underway with Johnson & Johnson right now that we're participating in getting a diverse audience audience to test this and we'll know more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. So the CARES Act made telehealth more accessible. Is that set to continue? If not, what impact does this have on virtual care going forward? For the going future, I believe that telehealth it will be here beating for this next year at least because of COVID. Mm. And I think there is going to be a need for telehealth going forward within the United States and abroad. The challenge is that although we know it's People love ease and convenience of buying things on their telephone or having Zoom and Skype calls, and we're very comfortable with that now as a society. And we've been comfortable with things like Amazon for a few years now, ordering things online and the ease and accessibility of it. And I think that the online physician's visit has been very beneficial for certain things, but I think there is a need for people to still see a physician in person Mm -hmm. or visit a medical office in person. Sure. And, and there's also people's desire to see their care providers, not maybe just their doctor, but other people in person. So I think there's going to be, we'll continue to advance the technology around telehealth, telemedicine, and I think it will be phenomenal. But there'll always be a need and probably a greater need for in-person, yeah. whether it be emotional need right. more than clinical need. I think people really want to see a doctor. People want to stop at the urgent care clinic on their way home from work if they're not feeling well, yeah. as opposed to doing it online. There's just a feeling of immediacy to it, quite honestly, and it's and patients like that. I also think there's some clinical things that'll never be done via telemedicine. Sure. Now, I say that, but I, I don't think a computer will be able to draw blood anytime soon. Right. However, <laughs> I didn't think you could do an EKG through a phone yeah. just five years ago. So do we expect COVID-19 to continue to impact our facilities long-term, meaning after the distribution of vaccines and we see a slow of the transmission, do we expect to see the impact on our patient volumes and our procedures? Yes, I would absolutely anticipate the change in healthcare going forward. Not necessarily the volume. I think the volume may shift into different areas. Like we just talked about telehealth, I think will take place of some things. I think medicine and the delivery of healthcare is going to fundamentally change forever. And I'll give you a great example as to a real world. Nobody in their right mind before 9-11 would think you'd have to take your shoes off before you go through airport security. Yeah. Right? And now it's just a course of business. You just take off your, it's an automatic. You take off your shoes and you go. Right. And I think healthcare is that way. Something fundamentally changed. In healthcare, it was this pandemic. Mm -hmm. And that created 
the need for people to think very differently about the delivery of care, meaning how many patients should be waiting in a waiting room at one time? How many patients should a doctor have on their panel at one time? Just all those things. I mean, even if you go back to the airline example, let's just say it's two years from now and everyone's mass vaccinated. Are you still going to feel comfortable in the middle seat on a plane? Right. Yeah. I don't think I'll ever want to walk into a crowded doctor's office in the future. Yeah. And the benefit of that, quite honestly, to the patients and to the providers is people having appointments and they come right in. Yeah. You know, there's all these benefits to it that we don't see right now because we're in the middle of the pandemic. But in the future, I think we should be optimistic. There's going to be healthcare for all, meaning like we're going to have access that you know, people will not be afraid to come out to get elective procedures and see their doctors because they have pre-existing conditions. And with that, we'll have better flow of patients, better access, better patient flow through our facilities. And I think that's going to be to the delight of our patients and to their family members who are driving them to visits, right? Picking them up and so on. So I think there is a benefit there, but we have to get through this first before we can really see it. Yeah. And such is life, right? I mean, if you think about it, the if you go back to the airline example, or if you're talking specifically about healthcare, the changes that we've implemented are going to be for our good and for our safety, but that doesn't mean that the things we were doing before were careless or reckless or anything like that. It just, it was the best that we knew then. We didn't know any better. Yeah, and it's kind of one of those things where you see something and you can't unsee it. (laughs) You can't unlearn it, (laughs) you know? And so you're right. I think it will be something that is probably something that we can't unlearn or that we don't ever go back to 2019, (laughs) you know, state of normalcy, but it might be something that is really to our ultimate good. Yeah. Like (laughs) seatbelts. Yeah. (laughs) That's a a great example. Seatbelts. And if one thing stays from this pandemic, if people would just keep washing their hands, Mm -hmm. I mean, even if we stop wearing the masks, which I think I think we'd all love (laughs) to be done with masks. Right. I think we'd all love to go out to dinner in a restaurant. No doubt about it. Absolutely. I think we all want that. But I think if people continue to wash their hands diligently and have little bottles of Purell in their car. Yeah. So when they come in from the shopping trip, they automatically becomes, it's almost like going back to your example, putting on a seatbelt. When I get in my car from a shopping trip or whatever, the first thing I do is Purell, wash my hands, put my seatbelt on or put my seatbelt on, wash my hands, whatever you're, <laughs> whatever you're yeah. coming with. But think about that. That in itself would help eliminate all sorts of common cold viruses, all sorts of sniffling challenges that we all face every year. Just that itself, which is maintain that one good practice. That would be amazing. Yeah. So it sounds like this is going to become the standard of infection control. Some of these precautions that we've implemented with the plexiglass, the masking, the waiting in your car, some of this will remain. It will be in our foreseeable future. And like you said, reduce the transmission of other viruses. That's right. That's absolutely right. I think there, it's going to be here for, we'll give up some of it for the good of humanity. Right. Uh, <laughs> I think that's a, a really hopeful message. I think there's a lot of people that are concerned or disheartened that these measures are going to be here to stay. And there's a lot of people talking like, can we just get back to normal? And I think if you frame it that way and say, you know, a lot of things will return in time and when it's safe. But some of the stuff that's here to stay is really going to be for our good. Yes. I think that's a helpful message to take away here. Well, before we let you go, we've gone now for nearly a year in pandemic mode, which is kind of hard to believe. What has been the greatest lesson learned? The greatest lesson learned is that 
you really have to rely on your colleagues and your loved ones and your friends to really keep in contact, keep connected, keep everything going. Because all of us have very important roles in our lives, meaning our work life, also our family lives, also our network of friends' lives. And although you may not think it, you're really important to someone else's network of friends. And to keep contact with them and keep make sure those lines of communication are open, even if it's just a random text here and there, and work Make sure that your team connects on a regular basis, you know, hopefully weekly. And sometimes that's not always possible. That way people are keeping things moving forward. Because in a Zoom WebEx world, it's really easy to lose track. And I think that keeping that on the forefront, making sure that you stay connected, making sure that you are providing leadership or providing a thought for a team, I think is really important. Sure. To be more intentional with the uh, human contact. Yeah, and, what a greater takeaway. Yes. Well, it's good catching up with you. Thank you for your time. Great talking to you guys. That was a good conversation. Yes. It's been half a year. I can't believe it's been six since months. Since we caught up with him last. Mm-hmm. Great to follow that last episode that yeah, we did. Yeah, it was a really, really good kind of segue mm-hmm. into this topic. And I think it was encouraging to hear that although we're in definitely a surge, mm-hmm. we are well positioned as a system. We're not lacking PPE. We're in a good place where we have a manageable patient volume, where we're able to provide that great care, where we're not in danger of shutting down the elective procedures in Kentucky. Again, making that care accessible to folks. Yeah, we're very fortunate. Our patient base is definitely benefiting from it. And it was inspiring to hear that as a system, we were able to procure the PPE and other supplies for our community partners and strengthen the relationship not only for us, but to give back Mm -hmm. to the areas that we serve. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously so much remains to be seen as we're moving into a new year. And we're really, I mean, if you think about it, we're really moving from a reactive stance to a proactive where we're kind of, you know, we were hit with battling this pandemic and reacting to the changes and Mm -hmm. the disease across our world. But now we're moving to a place where we've kind of gotten these protocols in place. We've kind of know what we need to do. And now we're taking action on the proactive side to what we can do to affect the change and to hopefully overcome it. You're right. Not only with the learning more about the vaccine, but the infection control. And I'm in complete agreement. Some of these changes are necessary to reduce transmission of other viruses. Mm -hmm. So it's not all bad and we won't return to quote unquote back to normal, but there'll be a better betterment in our society. That was such a good takeaway as well of the importance of checking in with your support system. What a greater message. Yes. You know, I think it's it goes to show our the humanity mm-hmm. i think that we've seen since this pandemic started it's certainly about the disease yes. and the illness mm-hmm. but the overarching message i think is the focus on the humanity yeah and the way that people have collectively come together mm-hmm. and worked as teams and checked in and really we've seen a focus on mental health yes. and behavioral health that sure. we've needed for a long time in our country, especially. And so I think there's been a really, a greater takeaway than just what we're doing with coronavirus. So speaking of what's up next, what can we look forward to? Our next episode is gonna be a really, really good one. We're talking with Dr. Krista Moe. She is a behavioral health physician. Mm -hmm. And we're gonna be talking about moving into the new year with a positive 
take, how we can look at 2021 in light of the opportunities and our strengths Mm -hmm. and move into it with a really good footing where we feel confident and capable and not bringing all of the disappointment Mm -hmm. and the unmet expectations of 2020 along with us. Sure. That's going to be a great episode. So if you're not already subscribing to the Health Talks Now podcast, make sure you hit that subscribe button and we'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in to Health Talks Now. Staying healthy is a lifelong commitment and Baptist Health can provide the support you need to lower your risks, improve your quality of life and protect your long-term health. Visit baptisthealth.com to hear our other podcasts, learn about our services and find more tips to help you stay a step ahead of your health. Baptist Health, be a healthier you. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as medical advice. The content in this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. This podcast is not designed to replace a physician's medical assessment and medical judgment. Always seek the advice of your physician with any questions or concerns you may have related to your personal health or regarding specific medical conditions. To find a Baptist Health provider, please visit baptisthealth.com.